everybody, it's the Bucket Cast, hosted by yours truly, BucketReviews.com, film critic and podcaster, yes, podcaster Danny Baldwin, and on the show, as always, is your co-host, Michael, the Caucasian Zatoichi, Lester. What? How did I get Caucasian Zatoichi? What's that have to do with this week? You greeted me yesterday with a sword. Oh, yeah. So therefore, that's what you get. I'm not blind, though. Uh, yeah, I, but I could work on that. You know, I'm sure I could make it happen within uh, five, ten minutes. Five, you want to try for this? Well, right now. I mean, if you're willing to submit to oh, the Oh, willing to test, submit. Okay, I mean, well, that's completely different. I uh, thought you were going to, like, no, no, no. pin me to the ground and no, jam I mean, my like, eyes out. Literally, like, you, electively, black dynamite style. you electively get duct taped to that chair and I just take a pen. I mean, it's very easy. Painless process. Painless. I, <laughs> I think I got a couple of uh, Norcos back there, and we can load you up, and uh, it'll just be uh, easy as one, two, three, and you can realize your dreams and become the next movie star. That is, if I drive you to all your auditions, because you know. And that, that, like, my martial arts becomes unparalleled, and I d- develop like superhuman ability. Hey, come on! If Jaden Smith can do it over the summer, I think you probably could. <laughs> You know, we're broadcasting in the morning, which is a rarity for us. I don't think I've been up this early, which is like uh, 9.17 on a Sunday uh, in a long time. So I I feel like we should have donuts here or something. Well, next Uh, time you can supply said donuts. Yes, I should have sprung for donuts and it would have been... He's looking around right now like they they should be here, but they're not. No, actually I'm looking for my water, which is over there. So you guys get me with no H2O. Oh, Michael has so kindly supplied his own. <laughs> Grand, because the Zatuichi doesn't need water. No. You just like do those the, the swordsmanship right on the water, and then it fuels your body from underneath. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Let's get on to more pressing movie-related <laughs> issues. First of all, big drama with Netflix over the week. Uh, all the studios, Sony, Universal, Warner Brothers had already been on. The only holdout really is Disney have signed on to this 28-day window with Netflix, which means that Netflix is not going to get new movies until 28 days after they've come out in return for more instant watch content and more copies of what's available. Now, Blockbuster is going to get everything on time. Video On Demand is going to get everything on time. That seems like a crazy business proposition for Netflix to me. Yeah, I, I want to see how it's going to play out. I mean, for someone like you, it's, it's obviously a big deal, but I think for probably the average viewer... I don't know how many of them are actually watching stuff in that first I, I'm not so sure, though, because with the exception of the holiday season, I saw everything when it came out. Yeah. So it's like the ones that I would rent were more esoteric. But now, since I missed a lot of the holiday movies, I'm going to be switching over to Blockbuster because I just can't take the 28 days. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it seems like a significant disadvantage, and it seems like it should be Netflix's number one priority. And I think what we're seeing here is Netflix is too ahead of the times. I mean, they're really pimping this instant watch model but instant watch is not that great a quality even if you've got the fastest lightning speed cable connection it doesn't look hd i mean if you play it on your hd tv and it's not hd content it really looks like crap it's borderline unwatchable it's worse than vhs yeah i mean if it's it's good for you know watching stuff you know you're not particularly caring about but if you want to watch something of substance or visuals i know even and the funny thing is the bigger the, your laptop screen the worse it's gonna get it's, <laughs> it's not like that's gonna make it a more immersive experience in fact the thing looks best on the ipad of all things really yeah i mean it looks okay <laughs> 
but you can still notice the flaws and the motion artifacts and it's just upsetting. So what are they doing? I mean, they're essentially losing a lifelong Netflix customer in me. I don't want to switch to Blockbuster, but the only other option is video on demand and that costs $5 a download. So after what, five or three movies, I'm already to a Blockbuster subscription. Yeah. So what am I to do? I, I, it's torturous for me to support Blockbuster, which really is the opposite. It's not ahead of its time. It's behind its time. It's an a archaic dinosaur. machine. I mean, I love the video store and the idea, and I love these boutique video stores that are popping up around the country. We have one here in Kensington, and you know, there's a great video store called the Video Tech in South Pasadena. But Blockbuster, dated, generic, employees know nothing about movies, and why would you go? So oh, it's really tough for me. And essentially, I'm going to be signing up for a Netflix imposter. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? I mean, I, I, I mean, I hope that this is kind of like a part of some larger scheme, maybe to improve said in instant watch quality. Yeah, I mean, if they had buffering, it wouldn't be a problem. Yeah, and you could get the full quality, but they don't. It's it's pathetic, actually. I think I don't know why Netflix is invested so deeply in this model, but you don't care. Twenty eight days, you're just gonna stick with it and stay um, on Netflix or what? Yeah, I, mean, I don't know if I'm watching stuff in uh, like a rotation that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said, I don't think the average customer either cares enough for quality when they watch it on instant watch or cares enough to see it right when it comes out really though i mean you see all the advertisement you you just think they put it in their queue and it's the next one they reach i mean i know yeah. i'm kind of weird in that i'm seeing every i mean that's the ironic thing is is no other moviegoer on march 18th is gonna watch valentine's day and invictus and the road at, or whatever the <laughs> nah, melanges so, so it's only gonna be one movie they're really missing for 28 days and it's not gonna be yeah. nearly as much of a hardship but bad netflix i wouldn't assign to that deal myself i'm i mean would you have to get more instant content in exchange for the it's i don't know it seems I mean, well, like i also i can also understand because there you didn't you say they're also supposed to get more dvds yeah. With this, and I can see kind of like it's a trade off. But isn't now, I'm kind of naive about this because, again, I was renting mostly older movies uh, up until two months ago. But isn't most of the availability issues like in the first month, though? I, um, yeah, I, I, I find actually like the availability issues right now tend to be like movies that are being remade. Uh -huh. The originals are the ones that are pretty much huh. checked out. I don't really have issues with. New releases. So I even if they're at the bottom of my queue, it still says they're like available now. I don't know. We'll see what they do, but I have a feeling their membership is going to take a hit at this because Blockbuster's pimping the hell out of the fact that they, they have, have these them. movies. Because when I went to rent, just Men Who Stare at Goats at Blockbuster, because I wanted to get it on Blu-ray and it was out on Netflix. They said, sir, you're not renting the blind side today? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no, I saw it in theaters. Oh, you liked it, right? <laughs> no, I didn't, but I didn't carry on with that. And, and then, then when I left, they said, and remember to come back on March 28th for Sherlock Holmes. We have it exclusively, which is not really true. But um, I said, no, I didn't like that movie either. <laughs> But they, they seem to really be impressed by the fact they have it, which makes it even more painful that I'm getting Blockbuster. But we'll see what happens. I mean, 28-day window, it's not the end of the world for most people, but it is in my tiny movie-oriented world. 
Yeah, I can see that. A bigger issue for people because it just grossed like 26 and a half million, 27 million is Date Night. Stars Steve Carell and Tina Fey, and I was really awaiting this movie just because of its stars. I mean, it's huge star power um, for me. I mean, I, I know you like Tina Fey and Steve Carell probably a little bit more than I do, but yeah, it, it looked like it had potential, you know, two, yeah. two funny people together, but I don't know if it really the carried through. Yeah, the trailer certainly got me really awaiting the big, you know, convergence of Liz Lemon and Michael Scott, but... My inner NBC lover was disappointed. Well, I don't really love NBC, but I love the Thursday night lineup. But my inner Thursday night lineup NBC lover was highly disappointed because these are... Steve Carell essentially plays a blend of Michael Scott and uh, Maxwell Smart here in this comedy-adventure hybrid. Misadventure, yeah. Yeah, kind of uh, sold as a Get Smart in a way, mm-hmm. everyday couple enters Get Smart territory. Tina yeah. Fey plays someone more original than Liz Lemon, doesn't do any of that, but she's not quite as funny. I found myself laughing at Steve Carell more than I did at Tina Fey, even though what he's doing is essentially mm-hmm. the same old shtick, which I guess is a testament to Steve Carell's shtick. But he's such a good actor that I'd kind of like to see him doing something new. But they play... Phil and Claire Foster, who's just a standard schmandered couple from New Jersey, and I mean, I'm sure you've seen the trailer, after they take another couple's reservation at their date night out in Manhattan, they're essentially mistaken for, well, gangsters. (laughs) I I mean, uh, involved in all kinds of uh, crime, and and they're being tailed uh, by two, well, I guess mob workers, but actually police officers, dirty cops and uh they're you know racing through the streets of new york to try to save themselves and expose the bad guys that's that's your it's it's fairly basic plot benign Um, in fact uh but i'd say these two stars are pretty charismatic and you know it's got a lot of other star power in it as well besides tina fey and steve carell yeah although they are essentially like saturday night live cameos and in fact many of them are saturday night live people but yeah uh, that's true it's it's very much that structure but yeah i mean throw out who you know we got jimmy simpson who's in uh it's always sunny in philadelphia common will i am's there briefly mark Wahlberg, ray ray liotta uh, William Fitchner. Kristen Wiig in a very small role. Oh, yeah, Kristen Wiig, Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, um, I mean, it's... it's qu- and and J.B. Smooth from uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yes, so it's a big... Leon! It's a big cast, but I feel like the cast is essentially operating at 65%. It looks like they're just taking the paycheck on this one. Well, not quite, though. That's, I mean, that's how funny. I felt. I, I, it's I, funny, but not like the power that a lot of these people have. Yeah, I mean, the script pretty much just moves Phil and Claire from point to point in which they run into new person. Oh, we forgot to mention, of course, James Franco and Neela Kunis, (laughs) who are the people whose reservation they steal. And strangely, I believe sweet Neela Kunis is this prostitute who's... And James Franco's very funny. It was... But, again, kind of an autopilot comedy. I laughed a bit, but it'll be better suited for DVD or HBO, I think. I mean, there's nothing... Nothing really stands out about it to see it in theaters, I'd say. There's some action, of course. Actually, a surprising amount of action. And while this is probably the best handled action Sean Levy has ever done, who did uh, the Cheaper by the Dozen movies, uh, (laughs) Bringing Down the House, um, 
the Night at the Museum movies, uh, class just married, just full of classics on his resume. <laughs> this is probably his best movie. But interesting fact about Sean Levy, he went to Yale, and he's like a genius. Really? And the funny thing is, he's made far more money making these really hit movies than he could have with his genius. Genius law degree? I mean, no, not law. He graduated. He's like a science major. Did, he's like, just, did they just give him a genius I degree? I think he graduated in like two to three years or something. I was uh. very surprised. So so naturally, he goes and makes these really inept movies. Uh, but it's okay. I mean, go see it at the early matinee, I guess, but don't have your expectations to even office or 30 rock levels. I think you'll yeah. get far more... No inspired content on the office and 30 rock any given thursday night certainly not that type of thing it's very generic but it's funny i'm, it's, I'm giving it a two and a half me too yeah. me too um but perhaps more inspired was a movie i had to kind of force michael into seeing i don't think he would have seen had the bucket cast not existed right no i mean i think that that's probably one of the best things about the bucket cast i probably will not have seen you know girl with the dragon tattoo or either. the how to train your dragon hey well, so I'm seeing some stuff I like. Exposing yeah. you to new lights. Hopefully, I can get you to see like some uh, some stuff on the other side of the spectrum to make sure you didn't. Or, what am I? What's saying? the other side of the spectrum? Well, like you know, we got a lot of summer ten poles coming up, like uh, Sex in the City two oh. and Letters to Juliet. If you notice on the schedule, I I did parentheses if Michael I, can stomach it. Yeah, <laughs> because you know I'll be going to Sex in the City two right away. But maybe we could get you to the worst side of the spectrum and you'll be debating me on this uh, come a month from now. But uh, Runaways, you thought you kind of had this image of Kristen Stewart and to a lesser extent Dakota Fanning like it's the Twilighters. It's just right. It's just like these like really, you know, clean, uh, overhyped stars. And it was really kind of nice to see them do something what I consider different. Sadly, though, I think a lot of people are taking the attitude that you were because there were only it's only playing in three theaters in San Diego County here. There were only 20 people that mm -hmm. are showing, which is insane. Yeah. I mean, once, a mo music movie, but not nearly with this star power. I mean, foreign film, essentially. It had double the attendance, comparable showing, comparable weekend at this location. And that's not good at all. I haven't seen the box office numbers, quite frankly, because it isn't in the top 12. Yeah. It's, it's a d disaster, really, for Apparition. And... Uh, you know, I think that a lot of people have that attitude, like this is just silly play because it's Dakota Fanning and Kristen Stewart, and yet the Dakota Fanning and Kristen Stewart fans aren't showing up because at heart, they're just Twilight fans. Basically. Kristen Stewart's base, I mean, I love this. They say that Kristen Stewart's fan base is so ravenous, and they get on all the message boards hopping all this shit, but yellow handkerchief... Under $100,000 at the box office. Adventureland, what, like $10 million at the box office in a great movie? Uh, what was the other one? Cake Eaters? Uh, under $10,000 at the box office. She has no pull. So, I, I mean, I don't know where these fans think they are, but this really pisses me off because I wish they were going to this movie because it's a good movie that deserves some money. She plays Joan Jett, but the real focus of the movie is dakota fanning playing sheree curry and i think that's the problem is they bill it too much as uh kristen stewart and not dakota fanning don't you think people would be more skeptical though if it was dakota fanning because like you know i mean i just feel like it's it's really pointing the you know the 
the viewer in the wrong direction with the trailers and stuff like that when yeah certainly not an accurate i mean it's direction. a biopic about the entire group but but if you just think about the marketing i mean this is drugs this is sex and the idea of dakota fanning yeah. being there and dakota does some stuff for a 16 year old that i would not have imagined and only a 16 year old who grow uh, grew up among the hollywood kind would do a picture like this yeah. I'm glad she did, but together they play the Runaways with their other bandmates who are not focused on at all. And it's kind of the typical musical, musical biopic structure. There's not a lot of girl bands, and they are recruited. Well, Joan actually kind of approaches him, but uh, this big uh, agent... well, Kim Fowley. <laughs> yes, Kim. He's not really much of an agent, but he actually went on to become successful. He's a real creep out in the San Fernando Valley, played brilliantly by Michael Shannon. Yeah. One of the reasons to see the movie, I think. It, Definitely. It's, uh, he's unbelievable. Just as good as he was in Revolutionary Road, if not better. And uh, so they're recruited by him. They become big stars, I guess. Maybe bigger stars than the movie would like. Us, or the, the movie tells us they're bigger stars than they actually were because... I don't know. My parents grew up at the time and they never listened to the Runaways. I mean, they had heard of them, but, uh, you know, this, this isn't Beatles magnitude. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, well, that was obviously what Fowley was trying to make. But, you know, as he said, admits later in the film, they were a failed experiment. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and basically the typical musical biopic structure where they reach their high, they're performing in Japan. What is it with Japan? Did you did you see Anvil? The story no, I didn't see Anvil yet. Well, there's this big scene at the end, and I don't want to give too much away, but they perform in Japan. Japan has unlikely fan followings for things. They get yeah. obsessed over certain stuff. Mm -hmm. But but that's kind of their high, and then we kind of trickle down with the low and the typical drugs and problems. And, and it goes in the expected directions, but I was really enthralled. I think these two center performances, Dakota especially, Kristen Stewart to a lesser extent, are really solid. And my grievance is I would have liked to see more about the rest of the band, but I can understand why they did focus on, you know, Joan Jett and uh, Sherry Curry. It does stay very honed in, it, but I think it works well that way. I mean, it's yeah. intimate, it's interesting, it's and the music, I think it's really good. I, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have expected to do it. I don't know how much of it was edited in uh, post-production, but if not much of it was, Dakota has a hell of a voice. And it, it's, I'll be buying the soundtrack, maybe. Even. <laughs> I, I, I've been, you know, hello, daddy. Hello, mom. Cherry bomb. I've been singing it all night. I've been into it. Wow. Michael looks really <laughs> perturbed right now. I'm not perturbed. I'm just uh, I, taking it back. What? <laughs> now, you, if you live here in uh, Encinitas, maybe you'll see me in my car uh, roll into that, and then you can be really, really excited by that, right? Mm-hmm. You could say, I spotted famous bucket caster day but and then to a lesser extent and then i'll be hiding in the passenger seat no, with my jacket when, over my when head you're actually doing it despite the fact that you you pretend like you're not going to be doing such a thing in your car <laughs> uh when you're actually doing it someone can call in and i can out you because then it would be like oh then it would be like a real radio show and we'd be like cranking all the time no no anyway i, I give the runaways a strong three out of four yeah i have to agree this I was, I was surprised that I, I liked it you know, going in. I really didn't expect to. Well, I'm very happy this podcast exposed you to a work of good art and, and extremely well shot, too. Yeah. Uh, they, they use some 
really nice wide lenses and a uh, freshman director i think yes and you know she falls for some of the conventions but i think she is it a she i think it's, it's a she. she pretty sure it's a she hey female director too we're just exposing ourselves to all avenues of <laughs> filmic business but uh go see the runaways they need your business yeah i mean it's it's a so disaster danny, so danny doesn't have to look farther than the top 12 Yes. Well, I don't think that's going to happen, sadly, because yeah, it'll go down anyway. Because I think our reach, maybe, like, if we could get two people, we'd be lucky. If you see the runaways, email Michael. Because yeah. he wants your emails. But Michael has uh, has your retrospective of the week. Remind them who uh, we're doing this month. So we're this month we're doing Steve McQueen, um, an era that Danny doesn't really like. But he chose to pick one of Steve McQueen's bigger movies this week, Bullet. Uh, 1968. Biggest, well, yep. Great Escape, I think, is the biggest. It, it's but. it's like one of the ones he's known for. Yes. Um, Bullet is um, it's it's about Frank Bullet, a police detective in San Francisco, and he's assigned to watch a suspect before he informs the mob. But he, uh, Bullet runs afoul when both his partners and the witness are killed by hitmen, and so all the while he has politicians breathing down the neck because they're trying to make their careers. And these mobsters are gunning for him because he's trying to fit, blow open this case. And he basically has to solve this case before he loses his life or he loses his job. It sounds fairly standard, like, by today's convention. But and it, it kind it, of is. <laughs> but, but no, but I, I, it, it's done so well. Like, it's, it's got this, like, sublime quality to it that it feels almost, like, underplayed. Yeah, a lot more understated than you'd see in a movie today. And mm. it's very interesting because there's not a huge inciting incident going on yeah. here. There's not a lot of action to really grab you as you would see in an action movie today. Yeah. I mean, there's some violence in the opening 30 minutes. But it's minutes, just, just but like that. It's gone. It's, it feels a lot more organic and a lot more real life-esque going into it, which helps because then we don't have as much of a problem accepting this crazy car chase which the movie's known for and it would never happen in real life but it's uh, still a brilliant car chase it's the best scene in the movie for sure and there's a reason but but the fact that the movie plays it plays it so underwhelmingly initially uh does a lot in its favor because we could just go with this mm -hmm. because we're kind of grounded from the start so it feels grounded not to mention the last scene, which is an equivalent foot race, and that is even in that time frame was would have been totally unrealistic as well. Yeah. So you know, it, 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 I like the movie, but I'm kind of in the same boat as I was last week on Cincinnati Kid. It's kind of the quintessential '60s movie where everything is just laid out for you. There's nothing to really read into. I think. The difference between an action crime movie like this and a mm -hmm. 70s taking of Pelham 123-esque same deal yeah. is not so much the way that... I mean, they look kind of similar. I mean, the 60s is yeah. a little grainier, but they, they're they similar in style. But I feel like there was more to the characters in the 70s, uh, you, you know, with Bonnie and Clyde being essentially the start of that, even though that was 1969. But... Uh, I feel like in taking Pelham 123, for instance, you're more into the story because these characters seem like more real people than here where they're just still kind of pawns of the plot. I don't know. Even McQueen is... A lot of people back then said, you know, he just plays the same character every time. Mm -hmm. uh, and, I mean, there's depth there. But 
he's kind of the and he's trying to play even the netflix sleeve on the thing yeah <laughs> says he's the symbol for every cop working against the establishment or you know whatever um and you he, know what it does like it's funny how it plays him off as like this you know cop working against the system when you, you look at t- today's standards and you're like oh my god he's like a, a boy scout yeah <laughs> <laughs> but on the whole I like the movie, but again, kind of straightforward for me. No. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I see where you're going, coming from with the straightforward, but yeah, I, I just, uh, I, I really it's like not, it. I, I mean, I like it too, but I just don't get where that whole classic thing is being perpetuated. It's got what a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's regarded as one of the best American films. I just, I, th- I think this film is being tainted by your dislike of the 60s. No, 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 but. You don't have any counter argument here, Michael. I mean, what's to? Go I, I mean, the I, I always, I like, I feel that like there is like something to be appreciated by, like the way it is laid out. There is nothing like, oh, it's convoluted pro- about it. It's, it's proficient, like, no doubt. It's lean, it's mean, but it just doesn't have the humanity there to me. It's not engaging on that level. I mean, we have the Jacqueline Bisset character. Well, what's her name? Jacqueline Bisset? Jacqueline Bisset? Yeah. I'm terrible with this era as you, a you whole. You are right. But, uh, she... <laughs> thank you. No, uh, she's just kind of there again. And this, like, personal life is just so paint by numbers. And so, I mean, we have this occasionally a scene. It cuts away. You get some groceries if we're supposed to learn something from him by the fact that he purchases a bunch of TV dinners, I mean, I, I, mean, I think that's I think that 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 does detail his his life that he is all about the job. But it's like I mean, how many cops in movies are not all about the job? Just as a counter argument. But <laughs> come on, this is the first one. I'm just saying. Clearly, I guess I'm not. Uh, yeah. That's that's an interesting point because I think if I was seeing this back when it came out, it would rock my mind more yeah. than it is today. It, you know, we're, we're both looking through filters, here. but I enjoyed it. I mean, it's it's. Uh, what well, would you think of Robert Vaughn? He's, but see, to me, nobody stands out in the movie no one other out. than Steve McQueen. It's they're just there. Yeah, I mean they're just kind of pawns. No, I mean you think this is a. Good... I, I think I think Robert Vaughn does good work in the movie. Well, I think so too. <laughs> I mean he doesn't stand out as being bad. The, the like the <laughs> the film like the the film cineasts are gonna be going crazy at me right now. They're like seething because they're you know they're I'm I'm just deconstructing an entire era of cinema and a masterpiece yeah. and dismissing it entirely. Bring it on, bitches. That's what I have to say to you. But I like Bullet. It's a good movie. Yeah, so what are we going to do next week for Steve McQueen? Blob! Well, didn't you have something else picked out? I, Did I, I? Yeah, I think you... I couldn't figure out what it was. Yeah, I, I figured I'd go, like, way earlier. And Yeah, so we're moving in the 1950s, I think. 1950s. Which I like even less, actually. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wait, you're, so you're trying to sabotage my, my retrospective month, aren't you? No, you know what I did it for? The Blob is exactly an hour and 26 minutes long. Yeah, I figured it was something like that. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I've Can seen... we watch the Kevin Dillon version, too? Uh, well... Because I have that one. <laughs> I guess, if you want to. Uh, so stay tuned for that, folks. What are we doing next week? Oh, next week's going to be a big show. Yeah, um, Kick-Ass is coming out. And Death, oh, at, well, happy. Death at a Funeral, which are two big movies among 
uh, young males ages 16 to 29, which we consider to be our demographic. <laughs> Although the emails are somewhat defeat. Oh, but Pop Po Poblo 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 will be happy. Yeah, Michael just looked like I was I was terrible for screwing up his name. I was going to say Pablo because <laughs> why would someone be named Pablo? I mean Poblo is. Uh, Poblo will be happy because we'll review Kick-Ass, but we better like it or we could get another email tirade, yeah. which could be interesting. So, Poblo, let us know what you think of our review of Kick-Ass. Uh, so we got Kick-Ass, Death at the Funeral, and The Blob next week on the BucketCast. And for now, this has been Danny Baldwin. And Michael Lester. And we're saying au revoir to you. Are we? We're on the front line. I get handed down the news. We're on the front line. Just working on the front line